folks. Welcome to the Jock and Jono Show. It is Series 3, Episode 4. We are recording live once again from the George Restaurant on Collin Street. As I say hello to the five-time best and fairest winner, five-time All-Australian Norm Smith medalist, Captain O'Connor for the sixth season. Evening, Scotty. Jay-Z. Hi, mate. Um, uh, well, mate, uh, Braden Cox, you're back from Queensland. You've recorded the Athletics Championships. How are you, buddy? Yeah, very good, thanks. From Sydney. That's... <laughs> Close. Brisbane. Close uh, They're right around the corner. That was uh, very close, Scotty. We were caught up in a bit of a podcast crossfire. And a bit of a, crazy bit of, <laughs> a bit of a stir. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. But I just want to say, Scotty, I'll tell you what. We are here at the George Restaurant. Our, list, our listeners, our loyal podcast fans, they've got to get down here. You've not only got some of the best drinks and cocktails in Melbourne. You've had water. Coco and I have had a couple of beers. There's a Vietnamese menu you and I both love. And we're going to get stuck straight into that very soon. From millionaire eggplant to mum's pork belly, the prawns, you'll be spoiled for choice with Ong's new lunch and dinner menu. It's all fresh, it's fragrant, it's packed with authentic Vietnamese flavours, Scotty. It is perfect for an after-work bite, catch-up with mates, family dinner, without the cooking or the washing up, any of that annoying stuff. And the bar here out there, it is pumping. It's absolutely magnificent. Not having a bad time at the George. Get down here. We should do a live show from here. What do you think? Absolutely. We'll get the people here. Give the fans what they want, mate. Give the fans what they want. We'll have a live show. We'll have a few beers. Get down, have a chat. Get involved. The George Fabulous Drinks and Dining, 162 Collins Street. It is absolutely fantastic. Now, Scotty, we've been caught up in a bit of a, a brouhaha with Damien Barrett, legendary journalist, a man I uh, respect enormously. But he had a bit of a crack at us or you or uh, something. I think it was me. It was maybe me more of uh, you. He reckons you should stick your head out of the media business. Just stick to football, Scott. Um, stick to the green stuff. Yeah, and I I haven't really heard the full context of what happened, so it's hard for me to comment. But um, I think it was around the negativity that I spoke about with Max Gorn and Paddy Ryder. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Well, I think. So you're even, saying we're too negative. I was I was saying in that instance when Max Gorn got hit for probably a week about that, yep, and that he was in hospital pregame, his poor game, whichever. So take all that. I I would have liked if Paddy Ryder had got some acknowledgement for his effort three weeks after breaking his jaw, playing with a busted for the busted jaw contest he created. We probably nothing, didn't talk about him that much. Nothing got mentioned about that, and that was no. my thing. I was like, we um, as media, and I do media, and so it's not actually that ironic because I'm a player. Um, <laughs> we. That, I reckon that we could look at those instances and also pump up the player who's done something really well instead of just whacking the guy that didn't do something well. I, yep. I, don't get me wrong. I'm as Gary Lyon said that I every time I cross the line I deserve to be judged and you can judge me however hard you want because no one's going to judge me as hard as what I judge myself and I completely get that. I think that if you be positive though as well, players actually really appreciate that. Um, Does it annoy you when we harp oh, on the negative? It annoyed me about he called me champ. champ. He gave me the champ. <laughs> the <laughs> nah, fourth time champ. I, like I, I like I actually like hearing from Gary. Lyon. I reckon he sees the game really well. Yep. Type of stuff. I'm just saying that I reckon in that instance there for Paddy Ryder to barely get a mention, I reckon was was pretty stiff because he created a ripping contest that got Port Adelaide going. And maybe it's because everyone thought Melbourne was going to win the game and they were looking to lump on Melbourne. But um, yeah, that was the case. So and yeah, I think Purple's thing was um, me stick to footy, leave yep. um, the media to them. So, But then I, I find that ironic that if you want to be able to judge me and I can't judge media, that's ironic to me. But in saying that, I do rate 
purple. He's yep. been in my backyard to break a story before. Has he? So what happened there? Oh, oh, years ago when oh boy, um, it was like 2010 or something. I re-signed with Collingwood. He got wind of it before the club, and he was going to go with it unless he could come to my backyard and break the story. And he was he was in my backyard. We did a cross, and he broke the story. So um, yeah, he's very good at what he does, and I'd love to get him on the podcast. Sorry, Should he be, come on? Oh, he'd be great. I reckon he'd like he. I listen to him and he's, yeah, he'd be fantastic, I reckon. But I don't know. He he probably <laughs> probably doesn't even know who we are. Well, no, he, no, he does because no, he, he spoke about us. So I'd love to get him on. If he's out there, Purple, would love to have you. Oh, I like it. He is one of the best journos going around. There's no doubt about that. But, Scotty, we have got a special treat in store. We had Jordy to go on a couple of weeks ago. We're going to get some big-name guests uh, on this year. And, uh, well, today we have got the Lion King. Luke Hodge, is he one of the, the, the players you admire most yeah, in the AFL? Yeah, absolutely. I think just from a total point of view of um, the player that he is, the selflessness he plays with, the leadership abilities that he has, the success that he has, no doubt that every player in the competition would be envious of, of Hodge and, and what he's been able to do. And um, great get for the Lions, get him up there. And um, yeah, as, as guests go, there's no bigger. By 327 games, four-time Premiership player, three-time All-Australian, two Norm Smiths, can you believe that? Probably one of the best big-game players in football history, two-time best and fairest winner, and one of the toughest hombres in footy. This man eats pressure for breakfast. He's done it across 18 seasons. As we say, a very big hello and welcome to you, Luke Hodge. G'day, guys. How are you going? We are well, uh, mate. Can you take us back to the time um, where you made the decision to join Brisbane? Now, as I understand it, <laughs> Chris Fagan was watching you on Channel 7. You were on the sounds of the game. You were mic'd up for uh, for the broadcaster, obviously, and shining with your instruction and your leadership. Chris Fagan says to Greg Swan, we need this at our football club, and he sends you a text. How did it develop? How did it evolve from there, mate? Um, it, was, it was a bit weird. It more started as a joke. Uh, it was around my friend with game where he said, uh, when I said I was going to finish up at Hawthorne, and he sort of said, oh, the old body's not uh, moving too bad. Um, the, the Brisbane heat will um, make it feel a lot better. And that was just more of a, that was just more of a joke and, and moved on from there. And um, as I sort of finished up with Hawthorne, he sort of just threw the question a little bit more serious at me if I would consider it. And for a long time there, I was not. I, uh, I wouldn't give anything of playing. Uh, against Hawthorne, um, and then all of a sudden, I've had, I spoke to a lot of people. Spoke to uh, a few people that I sort of talked to outside of footy, and listened to a few things that Shane Crawford said when he put uh, when he hung up the boots. And I thought, oh, I've still got a little bit left, and it was a good experience for the family uh, to bring him up here and give him something different while they're still young. What was the carrot? I mean, you'd already won four flags, Hodgie. You, you'd you'd done it all. How, how did you know that the the competitive beast was still flickering inside you? Um, I, I think it was uh, Shane Crawford wrote an article um, that he said when he retired um, that he ran past Clarko's house three or four times for the next few years because he just still had a little bit left in him. Uh, and I finished off 2017 season with Hawthorne and I felt okay. The body felt good. I started training for the New York Marathon. Um, and it's just that it's that thing. is once, once you hang up the boots, you know there's no more. Mm. Uh, and I still had the passion for the game. I still love the game. It was something that I... And Fake knows that I like the development side of the, the football and, and um, do, helping out the younger guys at, at the Lions was something that he knew that I'd, I'd love to do. So that's why he sort of threw it. With that, uh, yeah, really loved it. With that, Hodgie, you've gone from a real experienced side at Hawthorne, um, you know, watching you guys for, for my career. You just look like it's almost clockwork. Everyone knows what each other's going to do. How have you found going to Brisbane? 
year one, trying to get that chemistry with with a completely new and a lot younger side. Yeah, Scott, I guess we got a little bit of that in 17 with Hawthorne. Um, Mitch went off to the West Coast, Louis went to Melbourne, uh, and we played a lot of young guys. We had Sicily coming in there, we had Ryan Burton in there, we had Hardwick, uh, and that's just in the that's and um, Brand, Caden Brand, and that's just in the, the defence. So we sort of got a little bit of um, I got a little bit of that understanding um, in 2017. But I guess the the thing when I moved up here is it was you had to know the blokes, and that was a nervous thing. I was like an 18 year old kid going into a footy club. <laughs> all the, all these blokes knew each other, and I'm coming in, and a lot of the blokes I had no idea because I'd only sort of watched them off the games, or a couple of them hadn't even debuted yet. So that was the most nerve wracking thing. But once you sort of get into a footy club, a lot of them. A lot of footy pubs are the same. Um, Fakes took the piss out of me early on with um, with a few gags um, from my first introduction to the footy club. And once that sort of happens, you, you feel comfortable and you, and you fit right in. Did you make a good impression by just going up there and dominating the time trials? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't. Um, so yeah, one of those ones where if you're over, over 40, you don't do a time trial. So, <laughs> Great um, rule. No, I'll get up there, and that's where one, one thing they sort of said when I went up there. They said they're not going to make me do 100% of the training. Like they know that my body's. Well, I'm, I'm 34, turning 35. Um, they said that do enough that you know you can get through games. I ended up getting through about 85% of preseason. So um, I made sure I did all the skills because my, my main thing there was helping them on the field. Um, and if I, the more time I spent out there during training and during games, that's how I was going to be able to develop the younger guys out there and, and just sort of give a bit of voice and direction to, to the other players uh, around me. So, um, And I've been lucky that I've had bugger uh, injuries the 18 months that I've been here. Um, and I think it's sort of shown this year that we, we did a lot of match play um, throughout this preseason, where last preseason was more fitness and drills and, and con- contested football, where this preseason's been a lot about match play structures, setups. So, like, when we're in tight situations, as we've been the last couple of weekends, um, that the blokes know what to do. and They don't panic. They just stick to what we've trained for the last four months, uh, and, and it sort of worked for us the, the first couple of games. Aiming for your fourth straight win, it's an exciting time for the Brisbane Lions. There's no doubt about that, uh, Hodgie. Can you tell us about 2008? I'll never forget it. The preliminary final against St Kilda, that marking contest with Justin Kaczynski. Uh, it must have felt like you hit a Mack truck because it was a very heavy collision. The cameras zoom in on you and you're spitting blood. Yet seven days later or thereabouts, you're playing in the grand final and Matthew Stokes, the little Geelong Terrier, is whacking in your left ribs and you just raise your arm as if to say, mate, hit me harder, it's fine, and you go and play one of the games of your life. Can you just take us to that that starting bounce moment because were you, were you feeling sore when he was whacking into you or was it just the adrenaline of the moment sort of absorbed it? Uh, I guess um, I, I knew that they were going to come out and do something. I knew uh, it was either going to be Schmack or, or probably Stokesy. Um, and I remember I got told before the game, I can't remember who said they said, look, if, if you show pain or if you try and hide it, they're going to see that they're going to go for it. So I had a guard, I had a guard on my ribs. So they sort of said, put your arm up um, and if they hit it and you don't, you don't, doesn't phase you, then they'll forget about it. And, um, and that's, that's what happened. They had a couple of goes the first couple of minutes. Cam Moody ran through me a couple of minutes later, get up, smile at him. And then it's sort of just sort of they forget it and think there's nothing wrong with it. So, um, yeah, that was a, if that, that was the sort of tactic I got told to do. And luckily enough that they did hit the right spot and, and I, um, I felt okay. I know Cameron Mooney said that, um, he asked a photographer at the ground before the game started. He said to him, um, can you make sure you get a shot of me with my kids after we win, mate? Did you get the sense that the Cats 
we're a bit complacent in this one. I mean, it's, it's great honesty from Moons and we're not dobbing him in because he spoke about it, but did you sense that they were maybe getting ahead of themselves in that game? No, no, not at all, Bob. Geelong were, throughout the year, Geelong were the best team. And I don't think anyone's got any doubt about that. But I think leading into the finals, we'd had the best. Like our closest game leading to the granny was 44 points in the last five games we played. So we believed our form was good. We had a young, we had a young group that would do what anything Clarko would say. Uh, and he'd come up with the, the shark plan where um, Geelong would like to get the ball in the centre half back and just run in a flurry of numbers, handball, link up. Uh, and then get it to their forwards. Um, so his his plan was Geelong's like a shark. If you slow it down, if you push it backwards, uh, as a shark would do, it will drown. Um, their game style will fall away. And we started to know in the second quarter when I think it was Ottens in the pocket had a shot where he had a couple spare Geelong players in the middle of the ground. Uh, Cam Mooney missed that goal right on half time, and we went in with that much confidence, thinking that. Not that they were cocky, but they had to play. They were playing a different style for a team that used to be talking about um, goal assists. Mm. Uh, who had the most goal assists? All of a sudden, they have a shot from the boundary line, and they were trying to do it themselves. Which we we believed it was the pressure we put on them that it got them in this situation that uh, they were on foreign. Uh, it was it was foreign for them, and um, and yeah, that's where they started doing uncharacteristic things. Um, and when we believe, when we sort of when we started to see that, that yeah, we 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 had them. Now, Hodgie, um, you mentioned Clarko there. I've heard some cracking stories about captain-coach relationships. Is there any that you can share with us and, the, and our listeners about your time being captain under him? Uh, I think, mate, you know, being uh, captain, that um, it's not always not always roses. You don't always see what I like. Some of your phone calls. But I, I, one thing you've got to have if, if um, with a captain and a coach, you've got to ha- make sure that, the, uh, that you're both on the same page as far as it's team first. And I remember, uh, I remember at the end of 2011, you guys beat us in the prelim, and Clarko started to do a few things, and, and it upset a few of the boys. So the leadership group had a meeting where we've called Clarko in, and it wasn't a structured meeting; it was just the last thing we need to have a chat to him, just to give him some feedback on what the boys um, had thought. And yeah, yeah Clarko didn't down. quite enjoy that. He's walked in <laughs> and he slammed the desk, and goes, "Right, this better be good." <laughs> and I asked him to, I asked him to leave the room. Um, just, just until we got organised. Uh, we were all organised. We just didn't want him to dictate the meeting. And uh, I swear to God, he would have punched me in the face if he could. That is, um, that is absolute gold. Well, we had that many um, run-ins with that kind of stuff. But when, when you've got a good relationship with your coach, um, you always the next day, you're always the same. Because whether there's an argument, it's it's because you're the benefit of the, it's the, benefit of the group. And um, I've had a lot more highs with Clarker than I've had run-ins, uh, even though his run-ins are bloody scary. Mm. Hodgie, tell us about the pre-finals camp. The, there's something that's almost legend amongst, you know, uh, about your time at Hawthorne. You'd go away to a rural setting before the finals and, I don't know, sit around a bonfire, listen to Clarko play his guitar and have a, a beer or, or whatever. Can you tell us about what, what those experiences were like and what the purpose of that was? Yeah, I guess it was Clarko's way and the coach's way of, getting us away from Melbourne. Uh, we went up to Monkey's Farm a couple of times. We went to a few other farms. I uh, went out to Red Hill, I think, as well. And it was pretty much just a, a way of saying, boys, right, the season's, uh, the home and away season's finished. This is when the this is when the real time starts. And then it was almost getting out there and just make a commitment to one another that for the next month, we're going to do everything we possibly can, whether it's playing a selfless role, whether it's doing things for the team, where whatever whatever we've done in the past, we're going to reset, refocus. And all we've got, we've got four weeks of football to really put our mind to and and if we do the right things, yes, you need a bit of luck before we're away. But if you do the right things and commit to one another, that um, 
yeah, that hopefully things will fall your way, and, and it did for a, a few times. Now, what happened between you and Pendles a couple of years ago? Because I'm not sure if Taylor Adams caused the problem, but he was the main cause of the problem. Scotty had to step in on Tay's behalf, and you nearly whacked him, I think, with a right hook. It come very close. Were you guys okay, or what happened? I, I remember straight after the game, because um, it happened it happened really quickly, and I didn't think anything else of it. And then after the game, I remember um, you just had your son, and we were, we were chatting about we were chatting about your kid after the game. And the camera must have got it because a few people um, I spoke to after the game said, oh, were you two having a go straight after the game? And I had no idea what they were talking about because the amount of times in games where you have arguments, you have a push and a shove and you just move on. Um, but I'm, I clearly remember that we were talking about um, that your little fella and people thought that we were continuing on with, with yeah, whatever yeah. happened early in the game. Yeah, that's right. I think my young bloke was about five days old. So Hodgie was giving me some um, <laughs> good parenting advice. And yeah, people thought that we were talking about having a box on later on that night or something. <laughs> Well, Hodgie, we thank you so much for your time, mate. Uh, you've been very generous. Absolutely all the best for the rest of the season. We can't wait to watch, uh, to see what the young Lions do in 2019. Thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Well, I think we all love Hodgie. That's, we've established that, Scotty. That's probably enough, uh, Hodge love for, uh, this episode. Do you think the Lions can make finals? Have you got them in your top eight at the moment? Three and zero. Could go four and zero. They're in my top eight at the moment, mate. Are they? they are. Oh, yeah. Real, <laughs> um, uh, no, they're, I've watched them play. They play like a pretty exciting brand of footy. Um, they've got some really good players as well. Lockie Neal's on fire. Isn't he? Um, yeah. There's a lot like three and zip. It's a great position to launch your season from. And um, as Hodgie said, pre-season they had a focus on just training a lot more football. Um, footy's out. Footy's out. So you know, that's come to the forefront in some scenarios. They've probably been faced about playing their way late in games and yeah, three and zips, pretty good launch pad. Local footballers listening to this know that uh, when you're just doing running up until Christmas, uh, that really sucks. So uh, a lot more engaged when you've got the footballs out and kicking the pills. Scotty, hey, I tell you, uh, Brisbane going well, three and zero. Melbourne struggling at zero and three. I still think they'll make finals, the D's, but been interesting following their story this week. And in particular, the biggest issue to come out of the week is the midfield accountability, or more specifically, the lack thereof. Because although we've lauded this young midfield group, Angus Brayshaw, Clayton Oliver, Jack Viney, under the feet of Max Gorn, and we've been banging on about them all summer. Every second tipster in the Herald Sun preseason magazine, I think, picked them for the flag, but they've started extremely slowly. And it emerged this week in the Herald Sun, Scotty, that they circled up as a team on Sunday morning, they have their review and they cir- they all look at each other, Scotty. They circle up and some home truths are delivered. They are very, it's apparently very blunt feedback. You've been in that situation before. No, I've that been does- in a few circles, mate. Yep. And what, what's your well, general I've been take? In like, oh, it doesn't worst, sound like a lot worst, of fun. No, they're not. Whenever you hear circle up, it's like he's uh, <laughs> Walshy around the corner about to come out or, um, well, I remember we did one years ago. Oh, ours was similar to what Hodgie was saying about finals. We did one 2011. Yeah. And we're in Williamstown Beach and we circled up and oh. had, had just a chat about... Hold hands? Week, uh, no week off, but yeah. No, not arms around. But yeah, we had just a chat about finals, what we wanted to get out of like the next four weeks and what you know we're prepared to do and what lengths you want to go to. But there's always a bit of an eerie feeling when you circle up and there's blokes just sort of with the head down a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, that, that Melbourne... Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, um, you know, for like when you hear of Melbourne midfield accountability, what are you, are you thinking that it's just, you know, these guys not even worrying about their opponents or, you know, I've, I've watched a little bit of Melbourne, not much, um, so I can't really comment too much well, other no. than just in general terms of yeah. how I see it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. It's hard. And this is where it is really hard sitting in the media box trying to judge midfielders because you look at the stat sheet at the end of the day and you see Clayton Oliver's just had 40 possessions. Wow, he was the best person on the ground. But what you're not, what is so much harder to assess is the leg rope he's given to his opponents, the chances he's taken in a game, um, all that sort of things. Because if you, as a midfielder, you can't be anchored to the center square. You've got to be very accountable on the defensive transition. Looking at the stats, they're getting absolutely belted on the, on the outside, Scott. So how yeah. do you, as a midfielder and as a superstar on baller, if your opponent hightails and bolts down the other end of the ground or towards the other end of the ground when the ball's disputed, how do you know what to do? Yeah, well, I think it comes back to your team defense principles and um, you what know, does what, that mean? Well, just like what you, um, you know, so some teams out there play one-on-one, some teams zone, um, guard areas, so it depends what they're trying to do. Melbourne are a little bit more one-on-one from what I've seen so far. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just that, that balance of inside and outside, and that's where, you know, your, your mix of midfielders is really important. You can't have, um, you know, three balls inside because they're just going to always hunt the footy and they're just going to, um, you know, be so desperate at that clearance. But when... The ball spreads, you know, a guy like Tim Kelly, um, round one against us, and I've seen him last two weeks, his ability to, once the stoppage actually leaves, you know, the kick goes forward or back to be that next guy to outnumber. Yeah. Um, because, you know, stoppages are so important, but the next ground ball is also very important. So, yeah. Um, you know, for, for example, if Geelong win it, they go forward, um, you know, Jack Viney and Tim Kelly are on each other at stoppage and Kelly bolts forward, you know, that immediate transition there, Jack's got to head down. Uh, and try and get him and um, catch him. And if, you know, say Jack got caught up in a tackle, you hope another, another midfielder sees that and can spit out and catch him or a winger might catch him for you. So, um, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, there's so many hits in, the, in that inside stoppage that, you know, you might end up on your direct opponent. But if you know, like, you know, their three versus our three type thing and let's try and catch their three on the outside and, and showcase them, I mean, you know, show them up going back the other way. So, yeah, there's a lot goes into it. You've got to be completely alert. You know, as a midfielder these these days, and probably for the last six or seven years at least, it's so much more than just the stoppage. It's whichever way the ball spreads, you've got to get back, got to get on the outside, get on your bike, work as hard forward. I mean, work as hard back as yeah. your guys working forward, and then you've got to try and work work him over when we get the footy going forward, and he's trying to cover you going back. And um, you know, and then as as I said before, you know, once you slow a side up, some sides stay one on one, so you can. Try and pull them apart. Some side zone, so you try and send out number to certain parts of the zone. Yeah, different things like that. So, yeah, no, no doubt if they're talking um, their inside mids accountability, I'd be thinking it's probably their spread from stoppage once they win it or lose it. Because um, the, the other side of it is they might be winning stoppage going forward, but their mids aren't getting hard forward enough to close down the opposition mids that are getting back to help their defence. So, yep. say for an example, there is um, say Collingwood's playing Melbourne. Melbourne actually win the clearance, go forward, but me, Adam Trelaw, Beamsy, the first three mids back, we get the ground ball and away we go and their midfielders aren't putting pressure on us. Then it's 9v6 for Melbourne forwards. It's pretty hard for their forwards to pressure us if their mids aren't yep. you know, putting us under the pump. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into the transition game and, you know, we see edits every week and that's why sometimes I, I do find it funny, um, you know, when players get highlighted for lack of defensive work rate because there's clips of every single player out there of not working hard back enough and there's probably clips of every play out there cheating a little bit forward when they probably shouldn't be so it's a, i think if collectively you can try and look after each other you, you're in a better place what about the ego of that situation right so for example with the collingwood midfield you've got five genuine stars of the game there including yourself right is it 
is it ever hard? Is it ever hard to um, put the team first ahead of your own ball hunting instincts? No, because like, is that a calculation you have to make? Because so there might be say um, say if the ball gets kicked to um, like on the weekend, if it gets kicked to West Coast half forward flank, and I'm playing on Luke Shuey, and he spreads to that contest, and I'm with him, and then he, for some reason, as natural midfielders, we're thinking run front and center, yeah. get front and center to the drop of the ball. So I might be running over there with Shuey. For some reason, he just veers and he runs, try, he sprints past the contest, tries to get out the back. That part of the ground, I've just got to bite the ball and I've got to go with him. Yeah. No matter how much I want to go front and center to try yeah. and get a crumb, yeah. risk first reward tells me that if the ball goes over the back and he runs out by himself, he kicks a goal. Yeah. And if the ball comes to the front, all I get is a front and center help out of defense. So that situation of the ground, I've just got to go go with him. Um, that's my role then. So there's no ego with that. Um, you know, but that same thing, if the ball's in our forward line and the ball goes, I'm going front and center. And if my guy runs around the back, I feel like that's him rolling the dice. So yep. There's situational accountability as well, which I think that you've got to weigh up when you're out there. So, yep. um, you know, if it's say if it's neutral territory, middle of the ground, um, no one's attacking half, and the ball comes, and my man went to run around the back. I'd back my read and I'd go to the front. Yeah, um, because I think I'm playing the odds game in my favour. Yeah, which is like I find this stuff. I reckon it's like fascinating the tactical battle between you and your opponent, and because at some um, point you're going to take a chance. Yeah, but I think if I with the amount of stats out there, you can put the game into your favour if you play the odds more often than not. Yeah. Um, you know, back 80 metres of the ground, you basically, everyone becomes a defender. Mm-hmm. You, if your guy tries to roll the dice, well, he's allowed to do that because you've got to cover him because, you know, you don't want to be the one who doesn't go with him when he rolls the dice and then they kick the ball out the back and there he's standing there, kicks a goal. So, um, yeah, and that, like, no doubt, Melbourne's probably just working through that balance at the moment of, uh, as I said, not only to spread back, but to spread forward and help their forwards lock the ball in because they're, I think they're, they're number one side in the comp, aren't they? Inside 50 is dominating that stat. Yeah. But, but the ball's coming out easily, so how they're locking in will be an area that they'll look at. They're 18th for ground ball differential, 18th for contested possession differential post-clearance, yeah. and 17th for disposal differential post-clearance. Yeah. So that's, just, yeah, that's the bubble. So they're obviously very good at the bubble inside. Yeah. And now they've just got to put the work into. And this is where like, footy is such a tough game because they've – Clearly, their stoppage is their strength. Yeah. So they've made that their strength, but they've obviously just somewhere along the line, they've just forgot to address this part of the game. They'll get a sharpen up and you'll see a spike straight away. Most sides, as soon as you put effort onto something, you get a spike. I think Melbourne beat Sydney for the first time since 2006 at the SCG on Thursday night and they go and make uh, finals from there. Just last one on this, Scott. Young players come into the system. How much work do they need? How much work needs to go into exactly what you just said about doing the team thing rather than getting front and square, especially from a young midfield perspective. Yeah, there's like a TSC Cup or whatever, what's it called now? NAB Cup, is it? NAB League. Um, NAB League. So um, Colts, whatever it is, every player that gets drafted is picked because of their offense abilities. You never see a guy get picked. He's a great defensive runner and he covered and um, this sort of stuff. So yeah, every player that comes in from the TSC Cup, the learning curve's enormous. It's team defense, team offense, um, blocking for other players. It's all about making your teammates better. So um, the guys who pick up on that sort of stuff the quickest are the ones that find themselves playing games. Yeah. Um, why can't you beat West Coast? Um, we got close. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're... I feel like Did we're, you get the four points? No, we didn't get the four points. They beat well, you four times in a row, I'm lucky Scott. it wasn't for eight points because you said it was a big game. <laughs> um, so lucky we didn't lose eight. But 
No, they've <laughs> oh yeah, at the moment they've um I think we've played them now four times in something like twelve weeks or something like that, and they've got over us every time. They seem to be tight games, but um Is it the aerial ability? Oh, I think still, they're just or? a little bit um a little bit crisper with with their method compared to ours. So um seem to get the game for, you know, sixty percent of it the way they want it to be played and um, you know, it's probably when you watch the games, when you see the game played Collingwood's way, you really know it and, and we're able to score. But then when it's their style, they're able to, to score. So, uh, yeah, look, couldn't get it done again. Disappointing. Um, and playing again round 17. So looking forward to having a crack at them again then. But got a lot of work to do. Doggies this week who um, are really good clearance side around the footy, ground ball, all the stuff you sort of mentioned before with Melbourne. Um, they're good around the clearances. I think they're the one of the best sides transitioning the ball from their back 50 into their forward 50. So we've got to be on our guard and, and ready to get after them. Caleb Daniel might be the surprising man. You've got to stop talking about that defensive uh, transition. Hey, I remember going to a... Um, Caleb Daniel versus Coxie maybe this week. That'd be an interesting matchup. Well, he's, a couple of times he's been he, caught in one-on-ones. I think Ruffy. just with team defense and he lobs on Ruffy or someone like that. So it would be funny to see him on Coxie. <laughs> I would love it if he had Mark Coxie. No, that, I wouldn't, but it would be pretty funny. That would be great. Hey, um... I went and saw an um, under-18 game a few years ago, and I think I may have left it and texted you and said, I think I've just seen the bloke who most resembles you. He played for the Northern Knights. His name was Marcus Bonson-Pally. He played the first final against the – I can't remember. But he had uh, a lot of that ball. Do you – when you watch him play, do you ever see the resemblance? Because it's uncanny. Yeah. He's, he's, his game. I've heard I've, – like, yeah, everyone says – uh, if football comes up, they'll say, you know, did you see Bond and Pelly play like Jeez? He plays like you, or I play like him. Um, yeah, but for me, it's hard because I can't, I don't see myself play. If you know what I mean. So, like, I love watching Bond. Like, I think he's a he's a gun. He's what about I love him? when he gets the ball and he doesn't rush himself and um, he gets his hands above the pack. Yeah, he gets his hands up. Um, he's very clean with the footy as well. Um, he's got such a penetrating kick. He's good around goals. Um, yeah, so I love watching Bond play. Um, and then, yeah, when people say, you know, you play similar, um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because I reckon he's a gun. So. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I love about, you know, Bond, he's not about getting, um, you know, massive numbers for the sake of it. He's very impactful when he does get the ball. So Efficient. Uh, yeah, efficient, which is um, underrated in today's game. Didn't have him in my Norm Smith medal, medal votes in 2016, but in hindsight, I uh, probably should have. Um, have you, is he, do you have a, is he, have you had a coffee? Has he ever asked you anything? Or? We played in the same AFLX side yeah. recently, so I got to know him a little bit through that. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, no real association with him. He played, I think he played basketball at Alphenway where I played when I was a junior. So um, no, other than just playing apparently similar to each other, um, other than AFLX time together, that's about it. The night before AFLX, did you guys have a few beers? Had a couple of beers. Uh, where were we? At did Crown? Did yeah, the, had, did the no, bo- we just had dinner and a few beers and got to know each other and um, yeah, bed pretty early and preparation was ideal for the next day. Yeah, that's crap, Scotty. Did the bus <laughs> rock up at 1am and did you guys all turn the bus away and kick on and make your own way home? I was home by probably 11, so had dinner with the boys. Uh, where were we? I we heard were the bus got turned away. <laughs> no, I, well, I had no idea. I was home. Responsible father, mate, so I was home. 
Um, we had a practice game the next day. We played Melbourne in the morning, so I was there watching that. Oh, it wasn't a treat to have Luke Hodge earlier on the uh, podcast. We've got a few other big-name guests lined up, uh, Scotty. If there's one, someone in particular you want on the podcast, just tweet us. Uh, what is it, Coco? At Jock and Journo. Yeah, Jock and Journo. Get involved. The George, fabulous drinks and dining, 162 Collins Street. Also, after that, you then head down to St. Andrews Beach Brewery oh, down on the peninsula. Love it. Best spot down there on the coast. I love the uh, the amber fluids down there. Just before we wrap up, um, little offer out there for everyone listening. If uh, me and my me and my brother RM Skills, so we mm-hmm. go out, go out there work with the you know junior AFL talent, um, work on their skill development. So out there, we'll, we'll give an opportunity. Anyone that emails in skills at rookieme.com and mentions Jock and Journo, you'll get a voucher off your first session with us for skills training. So. Whatever you want to work on in your game, we've got clients, females, males, working on their skills. And um, So yeah. what, is, what is Rookie Me? So yeah. Rookie Me skills. So we work with athletes um, across Victoria, with whether it be kicking, marking, handballing, whatever it is, we, we try and take their game to, to a new level. So we've already seen some great development in some of our clients that we work with. And um, yeah, we're, we're hoping to, to keep growing. Get around it. Scotty, all the best. Thanks, mate. This weekend against the Western Bulldogs. Hopefully get back on the winner's list. Coco, you're a star as always. We'll catch you next week on the Jock and Journal Show. Thank you.